G'day, welcome along to another sermon from Good News Christian Church in Howrah, Tasmania, Australia. I'm Bernard Kane, I'm the pastor. Get in touch sometime at goodnewschristianchurch.org or why not come by one Sunday morning. For now, here's the sermon. Wonderful. Yeah, please, um, I think uh, Psalm 49, and we, we will get to both of those texts uh, in time. Psalm 49 is going to be the, the first one that we go to. Um, so this week, as I said, we, we're marking Freedom Sunday as IJM likes to call it, um, and it's the Sunday in the year that, from our point of view, it, it's one of many Sundays that we take up collections for other causes, and this happens to be the one that we're taking up a collection for, for their work, and uh, gives some profile to issues of modern slavery in our lifetime. Um, so, this week and next, I'd like us to delve into this biblical theme that we call redemption. Redemption. Can we just notice that in uh, the, the term has shifted over time, and we kind of don't use the term redemption in the way that, um, it, it, well, with the meaning that it ordinarily has in the Bible. Redemption just ain't what it used to be. So these days, when we talk about redemption, uh, what does it usually mean? Uh, we use it when there's like a movie star or a a politician or even a, a character in your favourite book or whatever who went off the rails and they left a bit of a path of wreckage in their lives but then they come good and they make up for it all in well not for it all but they make up for it in some measure and we call it redemption they redeem themselves Uh, so you might remember the the comedian Louis CK he was outed for misconduct against women spanning many years and instead of denial and cover-ups which is often the case isn't it instead of that he admitted it and uh, to his credit, uh, he confessed his sins and so the court of public opinion says, well, he's now redeemed himself, at least in some measure. It doesn't do away with the wrong that he did, uh, but it gives him, you know, through personal reform and supporting causes of women in comedy and acting, we say he's redeemed himself and good on him for that. But biblical redemption, can I just say, it ain't that. That's not what it is. We've lost touch, I think, with its roots if we reduce it to that. Uh, Biblical redemption traces the powerful work of our rescuing God in uh, liberating, rescuing uh, powerless people trapped in real-world slavery, whether it's literal slavery or figurative spiritual slavery. Uh, So, let me give you a summary of these two weeks up front. Brothers and sisters, it's my contention that the Gospel of the Lord Jesus, it weaves the story of redemption into who we are as Christians. In such a way that it really ought to move us to engage with issues of modern slavery in quite a personal way, springing out of our faith. But also with a unique, distinctively Christian hope as people who know and cherish not just an earthly redemption, but our Redeemer who rescues us from death and from sin. We've got big reasons to be on about redemption. So, this week, our emphasis is going to be on our redemption from death, as we see it in the Bible. Next week, we're going to be focusing on our redemption from sin, as much as you can sort of separate those two. We're going to attempt to span the whole Bible on the theme both weeks, Uh, So, could we please pray as we begin? Let's pray. Father God in heaven, the long story of your loving concern for your people, it still speaks to us today of who we are and who our God is. 
what kind of God we know and serve and love and who loves us. So, Father, would you please refresh and inspire and reshape our own sense of who we are as your people and our sense of who our God is in light of your word today. Father, take some of these familiar stories, familiar words and help us to see them, please, in a fresh light. And then, O God, as we do see evil and oppression and very real horrors and pain in this world, we want to be able to face it with both courage and hope inspired by your gospel. So would you awaken our hearts with Jesus once more this morning? We ask it in his name. Amen. So I said today we're going to be talking about redemption from death in particular. That's the angle that we're going to look at. And the reading that we uh, just heard from Debbie was Psalm 49. Uh, And if you've still got that open, just have a look down at verse 7, Psalm 49. It's such a a bleak picture, isn't it? Psalm 49 and from verse 7, uh, these rather chilling words where we read, No one, no one can redeem the life of another or give to God a ransom for them. The ransom for a life is costly. No payment is ever enough so that they should live on forever and not see decay. For all can see that the wise die, that the foolish and the senseless also perish, leaving their wealth to others. Their tombs will remain their houses forever, their dwellings for endless generations, though they had named lands after themselves. And I readily concede that for some of us here, um, look, death is, is so far off, it's so abstract, it, it doesn't seem a realistic. I mean, yes, sure, you can read, you understand what it's saying, but it seems so distant for some of us here today. Um, and for many of us, I think, death, how is death conceived of in our modern culture Uh, death, this problem that it is, this slavery to death that we all suffer under, if I can put it that way, it just seems so unbeatable. It seems a thoroughly intractable problem, something that we can't do anything about, so what's the point of even talking about it? But friends, the Bible does talk about it. In fact, the Bible has a lot to say about death and our slavery to it. And the Bible helps us to find answers for ourselves to three very important questions which I want us to rediscover today. Who is our God in this world enslaved to death? What do we long for in this world enslaved to death? And how must we live in this world enslaved to death? And uh, we begin with uh, who is our God, and I'm sure you figured out the answer to the first one, because we're talking about redemption, (laughs) Uh, who is our God, He's the Redeemer. Uh, I'm sure you've figured out the, the answer there already. But have we given thought to this, due thought to this, our God wants to be known as a Redeemer, as one who redeems and rescues and liberates and sets free. And if our God wants to be known for that, then how will we be known? in the world. Come with me back to that uh, familiar passage, we're going to flick around in our Bibles a little bit today, uh, Exodus chapter 1. Come back with me uh, to that familiar passage at the opening of the book of Exodus. I'd like us to notice a couple of things in that familiar story there, so we're way back in the history of God's people, Genesis, Exodus, so second book in the Bible, uh, right from the very start of that book. 
Exodus chapter 1, I'd like us to notice two things. One, we're not talking about just a a metaphorical slavery here. Uh, This is one of the kind of shaping narratives uh, in the Bible. It bears an influence right throughout the rest of Scripture and it's not figurative, it's literal, physical, actual slavery that we're talking about there in Genesis, sorry, in Exodus chapter 1. Uh, A second thing to notice, the slavery, we'll see this in just a moment, it is horrifically, I think, intertwined with death, even there in Exodus chapter 1. So, yes, it's talking about physical slavery with actual slave masters and oppression and work output and all of the rest of it, but the way that the story goes, I think we're supposed to see it as intertwined with death. It's a slavery unto death here in Exodus chapter 1. So, Exodus chapter 1, verse 1, these are the names of the sons of Israel who went to Egypt with Jacob each with his family, Reuben, Simeon, Levi and Judah, Issachar, Zebulon uh, and Benjamin, Dan and Naphtali, Gad and Asher, the descendants of Jacob numbered 70 in all, Joseph was already in Egypt. Now, Joseph and all of his brothers and all that generation died, but the Israelites were exceedingly fruitful They multiplied greatly, increased in numbers and became so numerous that the land was filled with them. Then a new king, to whom Joseph meant nothing, came to power in Egypt. Look, he said to his people, the Israelites have become far too numerous for us. Come, we must deal shrewdly with them or they will become even more numerous and if war breaks out, will join our enemies, fight against us and leave the country. So, they put slave masters over them to oppress them with forced labour and they built Pithom and Ramses as store cities for Pharaoh. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread. Do you see the life and deaths kind of playing out there? Uh, read on. So, the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites and work them ruthlessly. They made their lives bitter with harsh labour in brick and mortar and with all kinds of work in the fields. In all their harsh labour, the Egyptians worked them ruthlessly. The king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, whose names were Shifra and Puah, when you are helping the Hebrew women during childbirth on the delivery stool, if you see that the baby is a boy, kill him. But if it is a girl, let her live." And it goes on with more of that chilling story. Friends, when confronted with slavery, I do wonder about myself and I can't speak for you, of of course. Uh, You know, when I hear of the work of IJM and, you know, they talk about having sort of, you know, lawyers and so forth and so forth. They don't mention video editors, do they? Goodness gracious, they're quite good at that as well. Um, Anyway, so when I hear of the work of IJM and modern slavery and when I hear even... Uh, what's the nearest local parallel for us? Probably you do get that trickle of stories and there was one in the news this week about fruit pickers in Australia who uh, are working under terrible conditions, dodgy visa arrangements sometimes, paid a pittance, fleeced of the little that they earn. It's probably the local closest parallel I can think of. Look, I hear those stories and I do care. I do care. And I bet you do too. But friends, I wonder about myself because I don't think my mind gravitates to the response of God to the cries of His people who were enslaved. That this is my God, 
saying these words to the people of Israel in their enslavement. And he could be their God too. So, flick over to Exodus 6. Have you still got Exodus there? Uh, Flick over to Exodus 6 with me. So, the people cry out to the Lord, that's in Exodus 2, we won't read that bit, and God hears them and He remembers the promises that He made to uh, Abraham way back in Genesis 15, that He would be the God who liberates them from slavery, it was as back as early as that, to pull them out of slavery. Now, this is how our God wants to be known in a world that enslaves human beings to death. Exodus 6 and verse 6, God speaking to Moses, therefore, say to the Israelites, I am the Lord and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my own people and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians and I will bring you to the land I swore with uplifted hand to give Abraham, to Isaac and to Jacob. I will give it to you as a possession. I am the Lord. I wonder how might those sorts of words sound to the ears of uh, a woman in the Philippines or a family working in a brick factory in India? Uh, or even to a a, a disempowered woman in the darkest spots of our own country or our own state. Would they want to meet a God like that? Now, I understand, God didn't make those promises to the the woman in the Philippines, the family in India, personally. We know that, He made them to Abraham and He kept them, didn't He, to Israel... Uh, But you see where I'm going, I'm sure, if this is the character of our God, who is our Saviour, who has redeemed us, what will be the character of His people? So, firstly, who is our God? But secondly, what do we long for, then, in this world enslaved to death? Now, fast forward 40-odd years to the far end of, uh, of Moses' life now. So, God, what's He done? He has redeemed His people, He's given them life out of the house of death there in Egypt. God redeemed His people, Israel, um, may I just say, not by paying a ransom to Pharaoh, you know, every metaphor is, is a little bit sort of imperfect and, and so forth, God didn't owe Pharaoh anything, but He absolutely paid a price in pulling Egypt, pulling Israel out of Egypt. You remember the, the price of the perfect lamb's blood to spare the life of each firstborn in Egypt. But if the question is this, what kind of people are we to be? What kind of life should a redeemed people build for themselves? What kind of character should we carry on with? What do we long for in life and how do we pursue that? Well, says Moses, let let me remind you of God's words and God's actions and who He is. So, come with me, friends, to Deuteronomy chapter 15. Let's go to Deuteronomy 15 together. So, this is where they're poised on the edge of the promised land, ready to enter and they're asking themselves, what kind of people are we to be? God has redeemed us, He's rescued us, how are we to live? And we see the story of redemption from slavery woven into all sorts of laws. So, Deuteronomy 15, down to verse 12, sentence number 12 there. If any of your people 
Hebrew men or women, sell themselves to you and serve you six years, right? So, if slavery somehow comes back in, what are you to do? What kind of a future are you to live for? So, they sell themselves to you and serve you six years. In the seventh year, you must let them go free. And when you release them, do not send them away empty-handed. Supply them liberally from your flock, your threshing floor and your wine press. Give to them as the Lord your God has blessed you. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt and the Lord your God redeemed you. That is why I give you this command today. Flick over to Deuteronomy 24, similar logic. Deuteronomy 24. And from verse 17. Not just the slaves, verse 17. Deuteronomy 24, verse 17. Do not deprive the foreigner or the fatherless of justice, or take the cloak of a widow as a pledge. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt, and the Lord your God redeemed you from there. That is why I command you to do this. When you're harvesting in your field and you overlook a sheaf, don't go back to get it, leave it for the foreigner, the fatherless and the widow, so that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. When you beat the olives from your trees, don't go over the branches a second time, leave what remains for the foreigner, the fatherless and the widow. When you harvest the grapes in your vineyard, do not go over the vines again, leave what remains for the foreigner, the fatherless and the widow. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt That is why I command you to do this. And I wonder, friends, do we remember? Do we remember our Redeemer God? We serve and we love and we know and we live for and we long for a Redeemer God. Which, if I'm understanding where all this leads correctly, means that we have an obligation, don't we, to long to see freedom in this life and to long for life, and not just for ourselves, but spilling out from us to the foreigners even, the fatherless, the widow. Can we briefly come back to Psalm 49 together? So, flick forward, you might still have your thumb in it or a bookmark, Psalm 49, there. Because, as you'll remember, Psalm 49, isn't it the great depressant of dreams? You know, if we're talking about what we long for and the kind of future that we strive for, Psalm 49, well, what does that do? Well, it promises death, doesn't it? To the wise and the foolish alike, to the rich and the poor, doesn't matter who you are, it's inevitable. Isn't Psalm 49 the great black hole for our optimism and our efforts and our striving? That great black hole from which no light or hope can ever escape. For who, verse 7, who can redeem the life of another? Or give to God the ransom for them. The ransom for a life is costly. No payment is ever enough so that they should live on forever and not see decay. But friends, do we see where some sin now to the story of God's people? God's people, ancient Israel, had in their personal histories the story of a God who wanted to be known as the one who would redeem them to life and from death, not just from literal slavery, but a slavery that was even muddled up with death. And Psalm 49, did you spot it before? So, uh, let's read from verse 5 and from verse 15. Psalm 49, it's actually a statement of defiance. 
death will not defeat me, for I know who can redeem. Verse 5, why, why should I fear? Do you hear the defiance? When evil days come, when wicked deceivers surround me, those who trust in their wealth and boast of their great riches, no one can redeem the life of another or give to God a ransom for them. Come right down to verse 15, right down to verse 15, but God will redeem me from the realm of the dead. What a statement. He will surely take me to himself. Now, I think in our culture, brothers and sisters, this morning, I think our culture believes that you're kind of wasting your breath to talk about death. You're wasting your breath. Is that fair to say? Not because we don't believe it's coming. Oh, we know it's coming. But because we think it's thoroughly unbeatable. Because we know verse 7 is right. No one can redeem the life of another. We live and we know and we believe in our common slavery unto death. I think that's, that's a thing that's commonplace in the culture around about us. But the tragedy then is that we never get to verse 15. We never get to verse 15. God will redeem me. He will take me to himself. Yet no one can redeem the life of another. I know that, but God will redeem me. May I just say to you, brother or sister, whether you're sort of grieving for yourself and your own life at the present time, and it's shortness, or you, you grieve for those close to you, perhaps, already gone or, or facing the end, let us not grieve as the world grieves. For as Job says in, in Job 19, verse 25, I know that my Redeemer lives. I know that my Redeemer lives. And that in the end, He will stand on the earth. Is that what we long for? Is that what we look for? Is that what drives and motivates and undergirds our enthusiasm for life and freedom and justice in this world? It must. What other basis is there? So finally then, how must we live? How must we live in this world enslaved to death? And actually, I've I've missed a very key ingredient to this whole biblical picture of of slavery to death and redemption, you know, by the the, ultimately by the Lamb's blood um, unto life. I didn't go back far enough, you see. Uh, When Adam and Eve spoke with the Lord in the garden in the beginning, God said this to them, don't worry about flicking there, I'm sure you know the verse anyway, in Genesis 2, verse 16, He says, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you will certainly die. And sure enough, there began the slavery unto death, there began the curse of death that has beset the human race ever since, until Christ, that is. So do come with me, please, to Galatians chapter 3 in the New Testament, Galatians chapter 3. If our world, our fellow men and women and boys and girls, our common humanity, if people have been cursed by a slavery unto death since the very beginning, well, just after the very beginning, then where is hope to be found? How can we find life? How can we live? Galatians 3 from verse 13, which tells us, assures us, reminds us, encourages us, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a pole or a tree or the cross. 
He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. Friends, do we see there in verse 14? We see the movement out to the world. In verse 14, God redeemed us, Paul speaking as a Jew, redeemed us in order that the blessings given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles, to the non-Jews, to the world beyond, might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus. Our Redeemer God intends for His redemption to lift the curse of slavery unto death from the shoulders of those beyond His people, but out to the world. Now, we've covered an awful lot, a vast set of Scriptures today, lots to digest. Can I bring us back to this? The Gospel of the Lord Jesus, it weaves the story of our Redeemer God, who wants to be known as Redeemer, into our lives. The lives of those who want to escape death, who now get to bear the name of the Redeemer in the world. And I'll be blunt, I'm not too phased as to whether you personally, you know, make IJM uh, your thing, there's a little info table over there, you might like to check it out uh, later on and there's some, some detail, you can put your details down there and get newsletters direct from them. In a sense, I'm not too worried which vehicle we choose to uh, support the work of uh, overcoming literal slavery in our world. I'm not too concerned as to whether we mark and celebrate Freedom Sunday in this or that particular program. But friends, let us be passionately invested in making this known in our church, in our community, amongst our friends, through our giving, out to the world. That Christ redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. Let's pray. Our great God, our Redeemer, the Lord and Giver of life, when we see slavery, may Christ be our hope and our answer. When we see oppression, May Christ be our motivation to move and to act and to think and to give and to pray. Father, when we fear and grieve and when this world's slavery unto death comes upon us in one way or another, may Christ be our comfort and our optimism for our Redeemer lives. May we remember you, may we remember the Redeemer of Israel, may we remember the way that redemption has been woven in to the identity of your people since the very beginning. You are the rescuer of the lost, the one who ransomed those cursed at the cost of your own dear Son. Father, may we display in our own lives and through our own hands the truth that our Redeemer lives and in Jesus' name we ask it. Amen.